Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're once again checking in with one of our regulars on the show, Paul Donovan, to discuss GDP. We'll consider some of the perennial issues with it as a metric, and also the degree to which the so-called fourth industrial revolution is upending GDP's primacy as a measure of growth. As ever, we'll consider, too, what all of this means for smart investors. So let's once again turn to one of UBS's best and brightest, Global Wealth Management Chief Economist, Paul Donovan. Paul Donovan, always good to catch up with you and to take a a bit of a deeper dive into some of the themes that you're musing about and writing about. And this one's really interesting. How I Reduced GDP This Week, it was titled. Give us the headlines. What was this one about? Well, the thing about GDP is that it measures output that is paid for. It doesn't actually measure work that's being done. And so the classic example of this is, is the US economist Samuelson somewhat rather dated comments said that the man who marries his housekeeper reduces GDP because basically his wife will do the housework for free. So there is a difference between paying somebody to do something which is positive for GDP and doing it yourself. You still achieve the same objective but if you do it yourself then you don't contribute to GDP and that really matters because of the way the world is changing nowadays. Well, to that point, we speak frequently, Paul, don't we, about the fourth industrial revolution, this idea that there's this big upending of so many established economic frameworks. And you've hit the nail on the head. You know, we're looking at this world where services increasingly dominate. Just give us an idea about the problem then with some of these calibrations. It seems they're increasingly ill-equipped to accurately capture the reality. They don't reflect the value of various intangibles. How deep does this problem run? Well, it's becoming a bigger and bigger issue uh, over time. So uh, an obvious example, if I go to a supermarket and I use a self-service checkout, that checking out does not contribute to GDP. But if I'm paying somebody to check the goods out for me, if I'm going to a a checkout with a checkout operator, then that does contribute to GDP. Now, I still leave the store with the goods that I've purchased, same thing, but very different contributions to the economy. And of course, what we've been seeing with a lot of the structural change is that there is more automation coming through. And actually, a lot of this has been accelerated by the pandemic. And so we are we're changing things. If you go to a fast food restaurant, you now order the food yourself, you pay for the food yourself. The only thing the restaurant does is is cook the burger and fries for you at the at the end of the process. And again, that's an example where automation hasn't changed the outcome, you get your burger and fries, but it does change the GDP. And this is why I think some countries are going to have some problems with this, because the more you automate, the less you are contributing to official GDP. But of course, your standard of living isn't changing. You're still getting the same thing at the end of the day. Well, yeah. So tell us a little bit then maybe about what a more accurate representation might look like. Our listeners may be familiar with ideas like, is it GDPB, this idea, Paul, that we look more at the nuanced benefits? I think that's what the B of GDPB stands for. And that maybe also offers a a bit of an improvement? Yes. Well, there are a variety of ways of of trying to capture better what is going on in the economy. What is it you actually end up with? Because the thing is, GDP is very narrow. Remember, GDP was, was designed to maximise wartime production. 
So it's very, very focused on you know, paid output and, and so on. But actually, we probably need to be considering things a lot more broadly than that, you know, because people's standard of living, people's well-being, isn't just about, you know, am I paying somebody to do this or not? That was perhaps fine 250 years ago when people didn't have so many material possessions and you know, buying something could materially change your life. But nowadays, it's a lot more nuanced, a lot more uh, sophisticated than that. So I think that there are a variety of measures out there. The trouble is none of them has sort of captured the popular opinion or political opinion in the way that GDP did in 1945. And again, worthwhile remembering, it's only after the Second World War that GDP really becomes a thing. You don't have real-time GDP data for many economies before 1950 because it just didn't exist. It wasn't a thing. But now, you know, because we've had this sort of 75-year uh, focus on GDP, it's becoming very, very difficult to break its sort of stranglehold on the economy and perhaps use some of these alternative measures, which are actually a better reflection of living standards and you know, how people are actually faring in an economy. Well, yeah, Paul, and it's interesting, you chart that 75-year history, and it's worth bearing in mind that some of the other weaknesses, if you like, of GDP calculations have pretty much always been there, whether that's a failure to better reflect distribution of income or changes in working practices. There's the fundamental point that there's a currency conversion involved, and that can have an impact on purchasing power. And there's also always been the sort of hidden economies, haven't there? And that's very telling today. If you look at a big market, I don't know, Russia or somewhere, it's always had these very big limitations, even when it was more established as the main way of gauging economic growth. Exactly that. And, and one of the problems, of course, is that it's also very manufacturing focused. And that was fine sort of back in the 1940s when manufacturing was a lot more of an economy. But now we're a lot more service sector focused. And increasingly, again, post-pandemic with people perhaps looking for experiences and entertainment and so on as, as being higher priority. Again, we get that change coming in, which shifts the focus away from what GDP is traditionally measured. Now, GDP attempts to measure services, but frankly, most economists would conclude it doesn't do it very well. And so the more service sector economy you are, the more automated an economy you are, the more efficient an economy you are, the more you're likely to reduce your GDP measure. Paul, one other thing that you and I have spoken about frequently on this programme is equality and why it pays to try and ensure equality in whether that's on a you know business by business level or on a, na a nation state level. What happens on a if we apply a gender lens to these metrics as well? Is that another area where GDP runs into trouble? And I wonder if you look at it in those terms, you know, does even GDPB or other potential calculations also fall foul of accurately reflecting the situation if we look at it with through a gender lens? From the gender lens, because women have traditionally provided a childcare role, for example, there is an issue because if they are providing a childcare role and leaving the workforce, then their contribution to GDP is assumed to be nil. Now, of course, their contribution to well-being, to you know, the quality of life in the economy is not nil. If you know, you're providing childcare, it's an extraordinarily important service. But that's just not being recognised. And I think one of the damages that comes from that is that because of the obsession with GDP, that then tends to lead to society perceiving childcare, um, rearing children as being somehow not really a very worthwhile task. 
And so you're sort of downgrading the woman's contribution to the economy in that environment. Now, we are starting to break down you know, gender stereotypical norms about childcare and so on, but it's, it's still got an enormously long way to go. And that's very, very problematic, I think, because if we continue to obsess about it must be about GDP all the time, or any kind of, of value-based measure which is requiring sort of market forces in some way, shape or form to, to a, ascribe a value then it does become very, very problematic when you get these unremunerated, so, you know, unpaid roles, which are actually extraordinarily important to the economy and to society at large, but which are not valued in sort of the national income accounting method. Uh, Paul, just finally, if we were to take a straw poll of, I don't know, various uh, chief economists like yourself all around the world, the chief economist union, if you like, do you think there is a bit of general consensus about what a better better set of, of, of metrics, a better calculation of assessing growth might be? You mentioned already that there's still a bit of a lack of unanimity, but is there a sort of a broad brush consensus that there's a, a direction of travel maybe in terms of something that's got the best chance of becoming the sort of new GDP, if you like? No, I'm afraid to say I think that the chief economist community probably agrees that GDP is bad, but there isn't yet a, a clear recognition about what could or should uh, replace it. And of course, different societies, different countries might have different ideas as well, because you know, each society perhaps values certain things somewhat differently. There has been work attempting to improve this, the World Economic Forum, the OECD uh, have raised the issue that GDP is, is a problem. Diane Coyle at Cambridge University has, has written about this extensively, but we still don't have a consensus on what comes to replace it. And that's the problem, because until we can get some kind of consensus about this is a better way of measuring what's going on in the economy and it's, it's better for society if we focus on this... We're going to continue to use GDP. We're going to continue to misallocate resources as a result. And we're going to continue to say that you know, economies that are more efficient and the economies that are automating or service sector based are somehow less than you know, polluting manufacturing economies that are very inefficient, which is not necessarily uh, the way the world needs to be going. Paul Donovan bringing us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle 24. You can listen again and explore more at monocle.com. That's where you can join the club by subscribing to the magazine too. You can also follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. And to discover more and find out how Paul and his colleagues at UBS can help you, head to ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.